0: This seems kind of simple, but it's not just one workout that's gonna make you have a good race. I mean, that's pretty simple. I've more come to the conclusion that I'd rather do 20 B-plus workouts you know, over 10 weeks instead of having four A-plus workouts and then go into a race. I think if I can get the consistency of the, this B-plus type workout, when i do those i feel like we're not stressing the body so hard that we're going to get injured i feel like we're still improving getting physically better as a runner but we're not getting as many little injuries or dinged up or just soreness and i feel like when we do that and then go to a race when we try to do do an a plus in the race it just seems to be working a lot better for me so i just think just being really consistent over a long period of time no, you don't have to have any of these super duper workouts to prove who you are.
1: up, everyone. Hope you're having a good week. That was Mark Coogan that you just heard from a few seconds ago. I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and you are listening to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Every week on this show, I glean insight and inspiration from athletes, coaches, and personalities in the sport of running through long-form conversations that are a bit different from the ones that you'll hear elsewhere. In addition to the podcast, I publish a weekly newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout, where you'll get my take on what's happening in the world of running along with a roundup of things that I've been thinking about reading and listening to lately. Subscribe today at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe, and you'll start receiving it next week. A couple things real quick off the top. First, Mark was having some audio issues and his connection cut out a few times, but please bear with it. This is a great conversation and I'm so glad that my audio ninja, John Summerford, was able to salvage it. Thank you, John, for saving the day yet again. Also, one quick programming note, I'm taking a little break the next two weeks, and the next episode of the podcast won't drop until July 5th. So be sure to take advantage of this opportunity to dig back into the archives and catch up on whatever you may have missed. Okay, Mark Coogan. Mark is the coach of New Balance Boston Elite. His squad is going to be competing at the U.S. Olympic Trials in Eugene, Oregon, beginning on June 18th. As an athlete, Mark represented the United States at the 1996 Olympics in the marathon. He's competed on multiple world championship teams, and he's also the first sub-four-minute miler from my home state of Massachusetts. During his professional career, Mark was ranked top 10 in the U.S. from the mile to the marathon, which is not something that too many athletes can claim. I absolutely loved this conversation and i think that many of you will too we mostly talked coaching how mark got his start and how he's grown the most over the years he told me about managing his squad's nerves and expectations heading into the trials how they've recalibrated during the pandemic and the lessons they've learned over the past year He also described the family culture that his team tries to maintain, coaching his daughter Katrina for the first time, and how he approaches working with a group that's focusing on a wide range of events. Mark also had some great stories, like running the race of his life at the 1995 U.S. Championships against Bob Kennedy, and a lot more. A big thank you to New Balance for supporting this episode of the podcast. In the coming weeks, I'll be highlighting different selections from the Fuel Cell line, which are their fastest shoes for any occasion, whether you're racing, working out, or just running hard for the hell of it. To kick things off, I want to tell you about the new Fuel Cell Rebel V2. It's my favorite new running shoe. Seriously, it's so fun to run in. I took them out of the box last week, ripped a workout in my first run in them, and now I am hooked. The best way I can describe the Fuel Cell Rebel V2 is lively. This shoe is super light, it's incredibly responsive, and it offers good protection underfoot. I think it's the perfect workout shoe and I'll be using it all the time. Check it out today at newbalance.com and consider adding a pair to your rotation. This episode is also brought to you by Gooder. Man, I just love these sunglasses. Not only do they look good, they don't bounce, they don't slip, and they're polarized to protect your eyes. Best of all, they're super fun. They come in a number of awesome styles and colors. I'm personally a big fan of the OGs, and my favorite colors are a Ginger's Soul and Mick and Keith's Midnight Ramble. Gooders are also super affordable, with most pairs coming in at just 25 to 35 bucks a piece, which makes them way more appealing than those expensive shades you're almost guaranteed to crush or lose. So, if you'd like to support me in the podcast, Treat yourself to a pair or two or maybe three of gooders and head over to gooder.com slash mario and get 15% off your entire order. That's g-o-o-d-r.com slash mario, that's m-a-r-i-o, to get 15% off your order. Your face will thank you. Okay, that's it for the introduction. This is me and Mark Coogan. Hope you enjoy it. As we're having this conversation, the start of the Olympic trials is 11 days away. I'd love a little peek into what life is like for you and your squad right now.
0: Um, it's it's a little bit nerve wracking right now because. Uh, everybody on the team is running pretty well and everybody's healthy. So they all um, expect big things to happen uh, next week, you know, in 11 days. And um, so we're just like training wise, we're starting to slow things down a little bit, you know, drop the mileage a little bit, keep the intensity up and workouts, but just trying to start to feel good on most of our runs and hopefully go into next week, feeling good, strong and, you know, healthy
1: and well. Are you guys still in Flagstaff right now?
0: Yep, we're in Flagstaff now. So we we are at Flagstaff um, most of April and part of May. And then we went down and ran a couple races in California and then went back home to Boston for uh, two and a half weeks and came back up to Flagstaff last week. So we're doing our last two weeks up here at Flagstaff.
1: And you guys will go right to Eugene from there?
0: Yep, we'll go to Eugene on the 16th. So two days before the everybody races, everybody on my team races on Friday uh, the eighteenth. So we'll go. We'll fly from uh, Flagstaff to Phoenix on that Wednesday.
1: What do these particular trials mean for the New Balance Boston Elite Squad at this point of its existence?
0: Um, I mean, it, I mean, it's a big deal for for people on the team, like the, like there's been some transitions you know, since we have there's been some transition. So now like everybody on the team now, um, none of them have run the Olympic trials before. So we're pretty young. Uh, so there was a little bit of transition on the team from four years ago. So, so it, this is a new exciting event and nerve wracking at the same time. Um, new balance is it, put a lot of effort and support behind, um, my team and it's pretty exciting and with the new track that new balance is building in boston right now you know we're going to grow the team a little bit over the next few years and try to you know continue the success we've had you know we i feel like we've had a great year so far this year in 2021 but you know even with all the how hard it's been with covid and lack of travel lack of events i feel like the team has really been resilient and worked hard and, and improved over the
1: last year how do you manage the nerves between now and a big event like the Olympic trials with a team that is so young
0: yeah I mean I just I try to keep it light and I keep try to um, I try to tell them to, you know treat it just like any other race I you know i'm I'm really straightforward with them because they're adults and they're smart people like I tell them like you know the more we can treat Eugene like a regular meat and approach it the way we approach all our other meats the better we're gonna do and if we You know, put, make, you know, the Olympic trials look like it's the biggest thing ever and make it really stressful, then, you know, we'll run like we're stressed out and we won't run as well as we should. So I've been just trying to like kind of low key it. We don't talk about the trials every day. You know, we just, it's kind of a process. We just go one day at a time. And, you know, obviously they know they're going to be racing on the 18th, but. You know, we were just looking forward to doing like an eight mile run this morning on a dirt road. You know, that was a fun thing. We didn't talk about the Olympic trials at all. You know, we talked about, you know, getting out for our second run this afternoon and doing some strides, but we didn't we didn't focus on the trials one bit one bit today. And then only a week away. You know, that that's kind of how I'm
1: approaching it. Rewinding a year with the Olympics having been postponed, the trials having been postpone what did you and your squad have to do to recalibrate once everything got shifted back to 2021
0: right so like for for new balance boston you know covid has been terrible you know terrible you know virus for the whole world and everything but for my group being so young having a one-year postponement has actually been good for us because we've got to we've gotten to mature and um be better runners like you can use ellie purier as an example so ellie like you know last year she ran 416 in the mile and set the american record but i think we would have just been happy with her making the olympic team a year ago you know or maybe getting to the finals if she made the team at the olympics but this year if she makes the olympic team she's going to be one of the favorites to win a medal in the 1600 so like the year has really helped her Heather, Heather McLean, another um, girl on our team who went to UMass. who's just out of school for a couple of years, and she keeps improving every week. You know, she's gone this year. She's, you know, in the last year, she's gone from 203 to 159 in the 800. From when she came on the team, she was a 420 something 1500 meter runner. Now she's a 404 1500 meter runner, and you know, I think she got a real legit shot of you know picking up the third spot in the 1500 next week. So the year absolutely helped Heather, you know, and all the other women on the team have qualified for the trials, you know, this spring and have all gotten new PRs. So, um, yeah, so I think the year actually helped us, um, become a better team and, uh, it might've hurt some other people. I don't know, you know, hopefully didn't hurt other people. Hopefully we just improved and, uh, can run well next week.
1: How did you think about the training, for everyone last year when it became clear that there wasn't going to be an olympics there really wasn't going to be any kind of a season did you carry on like business as usual did you give people a break did it depend on where the individual was at i'd love to try and understand that a little bit more. yeah yeah
0: you know you know what we did was once when, when when everything got cancelled in like february march whenever it was cancelled i can't remember like say march when when everything started shutting down What. Well, at first we didn't know exactly what was going to happen, so I we just said let's just pretend to fall all over again and go back into our base phase. So basically, we did another fall, you know, starting in March and took that to like into May, and then like in May we knew nothing was really going to happen. So I said, well, let's just you know pretend we're going to have a little bit of track season here, and we'll just pick up you know do some time trials and make up some races, and we'll just do them you know with ourselves here in Boston. And so we did some time trials in, you know, July and August and just kind of wrapped up towards the end of, towards the end of August, gave everybody a week or of two. off, And then I said, well, now we'll just do that again. And like, you know, make it like a normal year and like build build through this year. We'll go back to the flag. will do three races and then, you know, do a little build up phase again do a couple of, Races and then go into the trials, you know, the best we can. So I think that we just kind of pushed the year forward. Uh, and when the team started running, you know, flat, four flat, things like that in practice, it was really good for them. And um, we, we didn't have to hop on a plane with COVID. We didn't travel any. So I, I, it, it turned out pretty cool. You know, it turned out like, all right, even though.
1: They weren't real races and the times didn't really count, but we we knew that we did it, you know. So it was good. What were some of the biggest lessons that you took away as a coach from having the last year completely upended where you know there weren't any events, you weren't traveling quite as much that you're able to, you know, apply to the team's build up to this year's trials and yeah. potentially beyond?
0: I, I I think one of the big things that I learned, and I don't think I just learned it last year, but I think I've been learning it ever since I left Dartmouth college is that it's, I mean, I, this seems kind of simple, but it's not just one workout. You know, I think that, that makes, that's going to make you have a good race. I mean, that's pretty simple, but I'd say like, I've more come to the conclusion that I'd rather do 20 B plus workouts, you know, over 10 weeks instead of having, four A-plus workouts, four A-plus workouts, and then go into a race. I think if I can get the consistency of this B-plus type workout without, you know, when I do those, like I feel like we're not stressing the body so hard that we're going to get injured. I feel like we're still improving, um, getting physically better as a runner, but we're not getting as many little injuries or dinged up or just soreness. And I feel like when we do that, um, and then go to a race and we try to do, the, do an A plus in the race it just seems to be working a lot better for me so I just think just being really consistent over a long period of time you know you don't have to have any of these like super duper workouts to prove who you are and um, just keep the B plus like out the B plus stuff like I was saying and then go down and run your races or go to your race um, they seem to be going better and I think my team has been extremely healthy. We haven't had an injury in over a year. And I think it's because um, we've been a little bit conservative and, you know, not missed any workouts. And I just think it's it just worked really well. I don't know if that would work for everybody, but it seems to work well for my group.
1: Was it hard to get the group to buy into that approach and accept that it is okay to have more of these B plus workouts over time, if it allows you to keep the ball rolling and keep everyone healthy?
0: Um, I, no, no, that's a good question, but I don't don't think so. I think that they really trust me and we're we're such a small team and we've created this family that we have, we're really good about having open discussions about what's going on. And like one of my goals, and I think it's important, you know, if you're going to be a good coach, is like to empower, empowered, the athletes that you coach it doesn't matter what sport but like so i'm trying to empower the runners on my team to to be who they are and to express themselves to me and i think that's that's one of the reasons why i was so successful you know we're a little family we've created a family and we look out for each other and we don't hide stuff from each other and i think that's really cool you know like when i was coaching in college i know like somebody somebody's foot might be bothering them And they might not say anything, and then they'll run hard, and then the next day they can't run. And if, if, say, Ellie's foot was bugging her a little bit, she'd say, Mark, my foot's hurt. And I'd be like, all right, let's just take it easy for a couple of days and not push it, and then it's normal. And, you know, she doesn't get an injury. And I think that I love the way my team communicates in that sense. Like the college kid might get injured just because they're scared about missing a race or missing a workout, whereas the professional people know that, one workout doesn't make, make a breakdown. It's going to be the, you know, the 10 weeks of getting 20 workouts in in those 10 weeks, like we were talking about a few minutes ago. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's how I kind of approach it. You know,
1: what does it take to build that family-like culture that you just described?
0: It, It definitely takes a lot of hard, not a lot of hard work, but it takes work. It takes, it takes having the right people on your team. Like we won't, like we won't let anybody on new balance Boston unless the whole team wants the person. It it doesn't matter if it's a superstar that can set a world record. Um, I'm not going to have that person on the team unless the whole team agrees and thinks it's a good match. And we've, we've basically done that since we started the team, you know, when Abby, when Abby uh, D'Agostino was on the team and Corey McGee and Luis Costello, like we created a little family then and we just kind of continued to add to it. And, you know, people are going to come and go like cause you get old and you know, life moves on and you have to move on a little bit with your life or you get married and your spouse's job takes you somewhere else. Like we understand like people are going to leave the team under those situations. But we're not going to put anybody on our team unless we feel it's a super good fit, and we take that really seriously. We'd rather have we'd rather have a 430 miler join the team that's a good fit than have a 420 miler join the team who's egotistical or something like that. And um, I think that's really important, you know. And just like a family, supposed to look out for each other. I think the team looks looks out for each other, and I really enjoy that. That's like my favorite part—how everybody gets along so well. Like I care about them a lot more as a person than I care about them as a runner, and I I hope they know that. I think they know that, anyhow.
1: Is it a little bit easier in some regard now that your own daughter is part of your team, and it's almost like you know her her training partners are her. Friends who you know might have come over the house like when they were growing up and like hanging out, and you've kind of grown up with them in that way. Does it make it a little easier to form a culture in that type of situation?
0: Yeah, I think so because I think like I think Katrina can goof around with me, and the other kids on the team see that that they can be themselves, and I think that's important that they don't they're they're not they don't have to fake anything. You know, they don't have Mm -hmm. to fake it around me or anything like that. But like. And I like have like Katrina, like I think Katrina's probably the hardest one on the team to coach because I love her so much that it's hard for me, not that I criticize these kids, but it's hard for me to say, Katrina, you should have done better than that. Or like, why didn't you do right. this? Like, like, cause when you love someone so much, it's hard. It's a little bit difficult sometimes to be critical of your own kids. And, um, and I think sometimes if I, like, if I do something that like, the team doesn't like, I think it might be harder for Katrina to say, dad, what are you thinking? You know, <laughs> or, you know, where Ellie might say, Mark, come on, let's do it this way. You know, I like it this way better or something like that. So it's like, I wouldn't trade Katrina for a million dollars, you know, like for anything on the team, but uh, like it's, she she makes the team the best it could possibly be, but it's also, it's also a little bit tricky to have your own daughter on the team when you care so much about her so much more than running, you know? So, uh, but I'm so glad she's on the team. I get to see her every day. You know, what father wouldn't want to see their kid, you know, every day through their twenties too. You know, it's pretty fun. I didn't see her for four years when she was at Georgetown, except for at a random meet or two around the holidays. And, uh, now I basically get to see her every day and I just, I love
1: it. It's something that I'm going to cherish forever. Did you have the opportunity to coach any of your kids when they were younger?
0: No, I, I, uh, on purpose, I didn't want to coach them. I just, I just wanted to watch them and enjoy them. I didn't want to ever be like critical of them at all, you know, cause I'm like, I'm pretty competitive. And, mm-hmm. um, I just thought it it wouldn't be the right thing to do, you know? And like, they all run and like, I've never like talked to one of their coaches about their running. I just ask how they're doing, you know, do they seem happy? And like, that's all I care about. And, um, uh, I think that, I think that was a good way for me to approach my kids, you know, through their sports, whether it's baseball or swimming or soccer. I just want to sit back and enjoy them because I'm always like, like I've either I've I've either been running competitively myself or coaching really hard at, you know, in college or in the pros. So I feel like I'd rather just sit back in a chair and watch him play. You know,
1: that was just, and I made the conscious decision to do it that way. One more question along these lines. When Katrina did graduate from Georgetown, what were those discussions like about her next step? Was it always assumed that she would join your group since it was already established at that point, or did you encourage her to look at other options if there might be a better one for
0: her? Um, I, I always wanted her to run for New Balance, but she wanted to look at other options, and so she did. So she, she took a couple of trips and looked at some of the other professional teams. And she decided that she wanted to run for New Balance. And I know the people at New Balance, you know, right up to Jim Davis, wanted Katrina in um, New Balance. So she, it's been a good fit. And, you know, she loves New Balance, and she loves what New Balance stands for. Um, we're just – we're a little bit different than all these other companies, I think, being a private company. We can do what we think right. You know, we're not not listening to shareholders and things like that. We can – do we can make the right decision. We don't have to make all our decisions on, um, what our shareholders making money or something like that.
1: Take me back to the very beginnings of the new balance group. I believe it was 2014 when you left Dartmouth to get this thing off the ground. Take me back to that time and describe what those conversations were like. So, so, um,
0: i like I ran for new balance from like nineteen ninety two or ninety three until I stopped running in like two thousand and five so i I was always part of like the new balance family, and they always treated me you know extremely well and my family really well, and just kind of looked out for. It. so I was always doing little things for new balance on the side, even when I started um, college coaching so um so I always kept my like connection with New Balance going, mm-hmm. but um, when I was up at Dartmouth, we were doing really well. You know, Abby was just flying. Lexi Pappas was doing great. You know, Megan Crumpock was doing great. Dana Giordano was doing great. We just we had a really good team. And um, uh, Tom Carlio at at New Balance. I don't know if you know Tom and John Evans and Jim Davis. Mm-hmm. They they decided that we we're going to build this new track. I mean, this new track's been you know, in the works probably since 2012 or 13 or something like that. And they wanted to have, they wanted to have a team in Boston that did more than just ran fast. They wanted a team in Boston that would um, be part of the community that would go to elementary schools and talk to little kids, you know, a little bit like what the does. Um, the runners, they bring us in the marathon, they will bring them to schools and, let, you know, try to be a good role model. They, they wanted um, New Balance Boston to, you know, once every couple of weeks to come into the office and eat lunch in the cafeteria so people that work at New Balance can see that, um, see the shoes on the shoes and the apparel that they make on the athletes, like professional athletes. People go in the they say, I helped design that shoe, stuff like that. They also wanted to have um, New Balance Boston there so they could help with making the new shoes or making the new apparel. So like my team will try on, you know, samples of things and um, voice their opinion on them, you know, to, to to tell them what they like and dislike about something, you know, like an example would be they were trying on tights a few years ago and the tights felt really great, but they were going to be hard to get over, get off over spikes or, Racing flats or something like that, as you get ready to go to the line, and like someone suggested, like maybe we put a zipper on the back of the leg so it's easy to get off of, get off, you know, off when you're putting your spikes, you know, over your spikes, and they ended up putting the zipper on the back of the spikes. Like so little things like that, you know, not major mm-hmm. things, but little things like that that have cool input, you know, um, and the team likes the team really likes being part of that stuff, and with with the new track going in that um, will be open next March. Like, I think that, that New Balance will use the team more and more, which I think is just
1: phenomenal. In what ways has the group gotten directly involved in the community in Boston where it's based? Yeah, so
0: so New Balance, like, really, New Balance gives back That's part of what, you know, the philosophy of New Balance. So, like, we've done, like, we've gone into schools and done little, like, the the schools nothing we didn't do really anything this year because of covid but um like last year they um they try to get these the elementary school kids to run i forget how many miles like over the whole spring and like we'll pop into these different schools and have little practices with them and then at the end of the end of when they're trying to do like a 5k at the end of this spring season i don't know what you call spring school year um Mm -hmm. we'll we'll be at that or um we'll give We'll give out shoes to charities at Christmas, to where people Christmas, New Year's, you know, the holidays, to people that don't have, just don't have shoes, and like we'll, New Balance will help us apply shoes, and we'll go into the community and and, and bring them the shoes that they need. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, like little road races that are raising money for things like that. And like, we'll always have someone from the team, not always, but when we're around, have someone at the team try to go to there and just run in the kids race and hang out with the little kids. Um, just a lot of like, it's kind of fun stuff for us, but I, you can see it in the inner city kids' faces when people are there that went to the Olympics or the Olympics. So you can really see the excitement in their eyes. Um, it's just stuff like that.
1: New Balance Boston is known for having an extremely strong women's squad. You're almost all women, I think, with the exception yeah. of Drew Piazza now. Yeah. Was that female focus something that was important to you and the powers that be at New Balance from the very beginning? Uh,
0: not, n- and absolutely not for me, but I think that that was part of New Balance's strategy at first was to um, build up our women's uh Runners, you know, across the whole across the whole country. You know, started with Jenny Simpson. You know, Um, so Jenny was the first, you know, top athlete that New Balance got in a long time, and Mm -hmm. it's just grown from there. I think you'll, I think if you, you know, if you're looking now, there's a lot more diversity on our team from Sydney McLaughlin to Trayvon Brumel, and we're working really hard at having a diverse, you know, young up and coming uh, groups. We'll we'll definitely add more you know more men to my group once, you know once the track is in there and we can get good matches, you know for the team. You know there's been people that we've wanted, over the last couple of years, but they, it just hasn't happened for whatever reason, either financial or Boston. You know they just they just decided to run for another company or whatever. So there's no, we haven't done it in my group on purpose. You know, we had Kamoy, Kamoy Campbell was on my team for a while. And then, um, another shoe company just offered him more money than New Balance was willing to give him. So we lost Kamoy. You know, we tried really hard to get Ben, Ben True on my team. Um, was up at Dartmouth when he was running like 1303s. And, um, but he's a, Ben's a very loyal guy. So he stayed with his shoe company. Uh, so we've tried. It's just, it's just, you get what you get sometimes, right? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so up, you know, I'll take anyone that the team thinks is a great fit that is willing to work hard and, um,
1: is a pretty good athlete. What have been the biggest challenges for you from a recruitment standpoint?
0: Um, I think the hardest thing is, is, um, the weather is a big deal, I think sometimes. And the other thing is just like the longevity. So like, I mean, I don't want to talk about our con- competitors, but I think, you know, I think Jerry Schumacher does a great job with Bowerman. and I think a lot of people just want to go there, and so I think, I think his program—he's done such a good job over the years that it just sells itself. And I think that's—I think that's where we're getting to it, you know. Now, like, I get emails every day from people asking if, you know, if we have any interest in them or this and that. So I think like we're getting there, but we're not quite there yet and um and like now that our shoes like our spikes are as good as anybody's spikes you know anywhere i would you know if someone had to pick between our spikes and our competitive spike i think you know a lot of people would take the new balance spike now over anyone so i don't feel like we're at a disadvantage you know on the track anymore so that, that that's been a big deal the last few years and now we're at least equal to the best spikes out there
1: is it a coincidence at all that a good chunk of your squad has New England roots? Yeah, absolutely. Because
0: that, that makes them more than easy to recruit. I know they can run in the snow. I know they're not going to be babies. I, not, I know they're not going to, you know, get upset if it's, you know, freezing cold for two weeks, you know, like it's, it was, it was really hard for Corey when she was up in Boston. Cause the winters were tough and she's from Mississippi and in Florida and stuff. Like that. I think it was, I think it was hard and she gave um, New Balance Boston a really good shot, but it, you know, she improved a lot, but it, I think it was just hard on her, you know, being just, this is a different place. And I think she's in, I think she's in a great spot out in uh, like Colorado now. It's, it's sunny there 300 days a year. It snows, but it's not like, it's not like Boston cold. I lived in Boulder for 10 years and it's not, it's not cold like Boston is in the winter. So I think, I think the, I think we need tough blue collar New England kids. You know that if they're good, if they want to stick around, I think my team's a good option for them if they're a good fit.
1: As we're having this conversation, you're in Flagstaff. How do you think about using or utilizing altitude for your team at different points throughout the year?
0: Uh, I think it's it's imperative. I if, I don't think I don't think we would be as good as we are if we didn't have it the ability to uh, use altitude. And that's one of the really cool things that I like about um, uh, New Balance. John Evans, who uh, I report to at New Balance, he knows for an altitude. I mean, no one in 2016, I don't think there's one distance runner in America that didn't train at altitude over the year. You had to use altitude to make the team. There wasn't anyone who just stayed at sea level that made the team in 2016 that I'm aware of. And I've gone to a couple. USOC has been pretty good over the last few years about having inviting the top distance coaches in and telling them of the advantages of altitude and how to use it correctly. And um, I've gone to those, and then I just I just kind of follow the science. If you don't use altitude, you at a disadvantage, you know.
1: So. I mean, you utilized altitude quite a bit during your own career. You just mentioned how you lived in Boulder for ten years. If we had to rewind a little bit, what were some of the Biggest improvements that you saw once you made that change in location and spent quite a bit of time in Boulder versus sea level, where you grew up and spent most of your time through college. Yeah, I mean, I improved when I got there.
0: I lived in Massachusetts. I was running there, but uh, but um when we went to Boulder, like that's where I really improved. You know, I made the world champs team in 5K and the marathon team, and I think. It's it's just you have extra red blood cells, and that's the key to distance running is getting oxygen to your legs. You know, you'll your arms wherever you need it, and oxygen is carried by the red blood. So it's not it's not like rocket science. It's easier than that. You have more red blood cells, and you're going faster and and more efficient, and your economy better. So you just need it. But the thing that I think that I've learned now, and science shows it, is like. You want to come. You want to do. Um, you want to do trips to altitude. You want to come up to Flagstaff for you know four weeks, then you want to go back to sea level for a month or two. Then You want to come back up again. So it's like it's like doses of altitude. The environment starts to weigh on you, know, and you might overtrain. You know, so you might get fatigued out. because it's financially, it's just it's so hard to go back and forth, right? And it's cheaper just to stay here. So, I, like, if you, if you have resources that New Balance is getting a team, I to tell someone to go live in Boulder or go live in Flagstaff. And I think you'd be a better runner than staying at sea level for the whole year. But we're, at, we're actually lucky that New Balance supports my team well enough that we can come up and go down a few times every year. And every time we come up here and every time we go down to sea level after we leave here now, we're running a little bit faster and we're improving. So, I'm a, I really believe in the science and I I want to take advantage of it the best we can.
1: How did you get your start in coaching?
0: Um, I, I always kind of knew that I had to coach. So in uh, 1992, um, Bob Rothenberg, he was the coach at Brown university and I was training in Providence a lot with the Providence college guys and John Gregoric and, Uh, we had a really good training group in Providence and the men's distance coach at Brown he took another job he had a great offer somewhere and he left and Bob Rothenberg asked me if I would help the guy distance runners so I coached the cross country and the distance guys in the spring and um, I just liked it and I was probably only like 23 years old and I got a little taste of it But at that, at the same time that I was, you know, uh, my ex-wife Gwen got into the PhD program at, um, at CU in Boulder. And so I only coached one year at Brown and we went to CU. And when when we got to CU, I was still running, I was running pretty well. I was like, I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to look for a job or anything like that. I'm just going to really go full time into this run and, and, um, And I just, I got, I got lucky again, like when we were in Providence, I got to run with these really great Irish Englishmen, John McGlorek and stuff. So I learned a lot from them, Ray Tracy, John Tracy. When we got to Boulder, I ran with Mark Platches, Arturo Barrios, Steve Jones, Dick Costello was still in town every now and then. There were just so many good runners and I just kind of tagged along and, followed what they did and tried to learn from them and I just like I was like a sponge trying to absorb everything because I knew in the back of my mind I might want to get into coaching and so I just like I stole so many things from the Providence people from the Boulder people and that, that I incorporated into my coaching philosophy and um, I don't know it just seems to work i just been around so many good runners that were nice and like tr- tried to help me and like that's what I want to do I just want to be nice to people and try to help them be better runners.
1: Zooming out, how would you describe your coaching philosophy?
0: Um, I, 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 I think like we talked about a little bit at the beginning, like I want to be, I, I want to care about the, I care about the kids on the team as people first and then as athletes second. And I think, I think that's the way, you know, you, sh- you should approach life and everything. So like that's huge. And then I think that, I w- always want to have like, like look a couple years out. Like, I don't want to like rush things. Like I want, I want to like have it be the process of getting somewhere. So like, I love having like four years between Olympics. Like you, we can almost look at it as a four year cycle. Like how can we get a little bit better next year? And then maybe a little bit better the, the following year, but then make the team in that fourth year, you know, or make the world championship team the year before the Olympics. And it's it's i'm not about like quick short-term gains i'm about the long term about the health you know like i want to make sure everybody's healthy I, i don't want people to have like i don't know like i make sure that their diet is good and they're healthy and they don't have any problems with that and i try to make sure there's no like mental issues if someone's you know if someone comes to me like we'll try to get them to see an expert like I'm not going to stand there and tell someone like I'm a psychologist you know a sports psychologist I'm like no let's go see one if they have questions about their diet and things like that I'll be like all right, like this is what I think but I'm not a professional at this like let's go talk to a nutritionist let's go like right to the top see who the best is you know like like all the little things like that I try to I try to do the best I can you know like I don't I uh, I'm trying to think like other examples, like I'm not a massage therapist. So like, I'm not going to be like massaging these kids' legs, you know, I don't touch them. <laughs> like I would say, go, let's find the best massage therapist in Boston and let's see if we can make a deal with it Boston will pay for it. So like, like I try to get other people. I think like, I got, I don't, I don't know. Like if I have like a one paragraph for like my coaching philosophy, I know at the end of the day is they leave New Balance Boston. I want them to still love running and want to run every day. I think it's, I've done that. I've done a good job coaching them.
1: I mean, looking at your roster, you've got folks specializing in everything from 800 meters all the way up to the 10,000. Getting into the X's and O's of it, like, do you have a, let's call it, blanket philosophy that you can apply to that entire range of athletes that you then specialize or do you try to work with individuals one-on-one in the context of a group setting so that they can maximize their potential and be the best athlete that they can be?
0: Definitely a little bit of both. When, you know, as we've developed team, like tried to have like people in different events. So like, I want to have like Green like a five ten kid, you know. Millie's kind of like a five k person. Ellie's like fifteen five. Heather's like eight fifteen. um, the Irish girl on the team, she's kind of like eight fifteen. But I, was, I really want like I didn't want them to really be competing against each other for teams either. So like so like I'm pretty between the ten, you know, like Ellie's in the five. Ellie's in the Fifteen. Heather's gonna do the eight and fifteen. Sheva's gonna run eight for Ireland. So like, like they don't have to worry about each other getting onto the team in the same event, you know. And I think that I think that's been pretty good to have people in different events. Well, actually, we're all fifteen hundred meter runners. It'd be tough, right? Because there's only three steps. There's a lot of good runners in America. And um, so I think it's good to have, like some business to be on the team, you know, in the different running disciplines.
1: I mean, in the course of your career, one of the things I've always admired about you was just your range. I mean, you ran sub four minutes in a mile, you made an Olympic team in the marathon, you focused on steeplechase for quite a bit, ran some good 5,000s yeah. and, and on the roads. Do you take that same approach into your coaching where you really kind of love it all and want your athletes to have pretty good range, whatever that range is for them.
0: Yeah. De- oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I think that was one of the reasons why I had such a long career it was like, you know, I was ranked top 10 from the mile to the marathon and like in every event, which is kind of funny, like, cause people don't do that anymore. I like, I feel like we don't race as much as we used to. And I don't know why, I don't know why that's happened or whatever, but like, I, like I've, Like, I think it's really cool that like, you know, like I'll use use Katrina, for example, she can probably run, you know, 425 in the mile and she can, she doesn't run a marathon, but I'm sure she could run 225 or something like that, you know, 228. And, um, you know, she's only run 110 and she just ran 31. I'm going to mess up, but like 55 or something like that. And, um, so I love the diversity, you know, that they can run different events, um, different ranges that I think it makes them. That are athletes and it allows them to train together too. Like in the fall, we do basically everything together. You know, we do our tempo runs together, we do our hills together, we do our long runs together. Um, Out in Flag, like tomorrow, we're going to go to the track tomorrow morning, and Katrina and Millie, Millie's doing the five and Katrina's doing the ten, they're going to do one workout. And Heather and Ellie are going to do a different workout because they're going to do the fifteen hundred and cheaper is flying to Europe tonight. So she'll be in Europe tomorrow and she's going to do a race in Czechoslovakia and then do the Irish Olympic trials, um, two weeks later. And so Schieffer is going to be doing a little bit of different stuff too. So like, yeah, in the fall and, and in the winter, you know, we can do a lot of stuff together, but at some point, um, you have, once you're going to start specializing in a certain event, you know, starting to refine everything, the workouts have to get a little bit different, but, since we're such a small team, I also try to like mix the workouts, mix and match the workouts together, you know? So like, <laughs> like Ellie might be doing an 800 and she might be doing a 400, but it wants to run 205 and she wants to run sixty twos. So like they can work, they can work to figure still. You see what I'm saying? So like we mm-hmm. do, we do a lot, we do a lot of stuff like that. And, um, Like, like I don't, I'm not like we don't hide stuff. So like if like I'm in Flagstaff right now, and there's a lot of good runners here. And if someone when I talk to say Tom Nohilly or Stephen Hass or Pete Julian, and someone's doing something very similar, like we'll try to uh, like we'll try to cooperate and get the athletes to run, you know, do some of the workouts together so they're not all by themselves. Because it's a lot more fun. There's better energy when you're running with other people or there are other people around. You know, like we're not secretive.
1: That's something you kind of did throughout your own career in Boulder, training with all those different folks who were in town at the same time that you were.
0: Yep. And I loved it. Like, I, I just loved it. And I, I really try to create that here. I think that, and like, I feel like Flagstaff is pretty psyched when New Balance Boston rolls into town. I think they enjoy having us here because they know that we're not afraid to run with them where we enjoy other teams we want we want everybody to run well we still want to kick their butt on the track but we want to beat them when they're running well like who wants to beat someone on a crappy day or they it doesn't feel the same right so we want everybody to run well we just want to beat them
1: we just want to beat them
0: when we race them you know but we we definitely don't mind running with them or training with them to make them better for sure
1: Most of your squad has been very track focused to this point. We've got the trials coming up, which are obviously on the track. Do you foresee some of your current athletes moving up and experimenting with some road distances over the next couple of years or expanding your squad to have more folks who are focused on, say, half marathon and marathon versus 5'10 on the track?
0: um yeah like i can see millie moving up you know i could see katrina moving up but uh, but i also know like katrina in the back of her mind you know wants to go to med school. So, like i don't really know how long katrina's doing this either so like um i think she should do it as as well. she is enjoying it and wants to do it and i also know that she like eventually she's like i know i got to move on and you know if I'm going to go to med school, I don't want to be in med school when I'm 40, you know? So I also, she knows that too. So, but I think, you know, we had Liz Costello on the team a couple of years ago and she loved the roads. She was fifth, she was fifth in the 10 K trials in 2016 and she ran London and Boston and, you know, New York City half a couple of times. She kind of moved to the roads, but she's also, you know, she's a chemical engineer from Princeton and, and she felt pressure to, Get on with her life. You know, she had all this money invested in school, and she knew that um, at some point she had to move on. And she moved on like a year and a half ago, or two years ago now. So, so we've had people on the roads. It just it just depends where they are in their career. You know, if they're a ten k runner when they come out of college, they come on to New Balance Boston, and they're a ten k runner, and they run a tr- Olympic trials. Like say someone like let's say. Ellie, who might be able to set the world record in the mile, you know? So it's just, it's just, everybody's an individual. Everybody's going get treated differently, I guess.
1: Do you have a favorite event to coach?
0: Um, I think yeah, the most comfortable in like 15, 5, 10. Like I feel pretty, really comfortable in that. Um, I think the 800 is a pretty tricky event to, to coach because like either you're coming at it like from the four eight side and you really got to treat it with speed and like a lot of, you know, a lot more anaerobic work. I feel more comfortable coaching the eight person that's coming from the like 1500, 1500 meter side, you know, so still more strength and, you know, more aerobic type stuff. And um, so I'm still, you know, I feel like I can improve in every event that I coach, but I think, I mean, I think I really enjoy coaching the five. I just think the five is a great event because you just like, if you run in a good one, it's the hardest race to race, too. Like, you're redlining it. Like, after two laps, you're like, oh, my goodness. If I go faster, I'm dead. If I slow down, I'm not going to run fast. You know, it's, like, such a tough event to race. It's just so so intense.
1: Race. It reminds me of a Bob Kennedy quote from Sports Illustrated, probably in, like, 1996, I think it was. He's like, when I'm running at those speeds, if I were running half a second faster per lap, he's like, I'd pass out. Uh, and I don't yeah. think enough casual observers of the sport really appreciate that that's how intense a high-level 5,000 is.
0: Yeah, I mean, exactly. The best race I ever ran in my whole life was against Bob Kennedy, the 5K at the U.S. Champs in um, 1995, because I was in really good shape. I had just run um, 8.20 for two miles, and Bob and uh, Todd Williams had just run the American record. They were like 8.11 and 8.12 or something. They went one two, and I was third in the race. It was at pre- and then the U.S. champs were like two weeks later. And I think Bob was the only guy that had the A standard. The A standard was 1325. And, like, I knew I was in good shape. And there, it, was, it was in Sacramento. And Bob took the race out in, like, 408 or something like that. And I went with him. And, and um, Matt G. still went with him. And we and we've got, like, 50 yards on the field, 50 meters on the field, like, right away and i knew i was like i was running so hard and then and then kennedy just put the brakes on and he just started jogging and we went from running like 62s, we did like a like a 67 or something and i was like oh crap these guys are going to come back in on a spicy and i don't know who else is in there and i'm going to be dead and they're going to kick me and so i was like bob get out of the way I literally told them to get out of the way. Cause like Matt was next to me and Bob was in front of me. So Bob moved out in lane, out to lane two. And I took the lead and I held the lead until like 300 meters. I got it going again. I held the lead to like 300 meters to go. And then Bob just drilled me and he won. And I got second. I ran 13:23, So I got the eight standards. So I got to go to the world. But, um, after I was like, I was like, why did you fall down like that? He's goes. I'm not going to drag you to the A standard. You know? <laughs> like, it was really funny, but I was so proud of myself that day that like, I didn't like, I just did it you know. And I ran fast and Kennedy was in the race and he was so good. He was, you remember know how good he was. He was, can you imagine him in the new spikes? He'd run like 1240 and it's just, That's just, yeah. So like, I don't know i'm a little getting off you know get and just going away from your quote but the 5k like if bob went like a second faster i probably would have tipped over and you know if i went if we did another half a lap at the pace that he was that he slowed it down to the group would have caught up to us and i would already have, i wouldn't have been on to kick him because i was already kind of tired you know so it's just the is a weird really tough event
1: I love it. That's a great story. Thank you so much for sharing it. Along these lines, since you went off on that little tangent, in your experience as a high-level athlete yourself throughout the course of your competitive career and now as a top coach, are you surprised to see how fast people have been running these last few years? I mean, some of your own athletes are, like Ellie, for example, are light-in-the-track on fire does yeah. it surprise you at all just how quick people are going or has the sport just evolved to this point and it was inevitable
0: um i mean i think that's, that's another really good question i think there's just like i think there's a couple things that honestly have made people run fast one one the technology has improved so like i mean i don't know how much they help you but there's no question that they help you um then the other thing that I think really big over the last year was this COVID, whereas people weren't racing as much. And people just went back and just did volume and easy distance and let their buddies uh, adapt to more volume and get more efficient. And I think that it's a huge reason they didn't, they didn't race every weekend of, of last mm-hmm. year. So, like, from whenever NCA's indoors was last year, they didn't race again until – I don't know, some some of them ran in the fall, but not all of them. So they didn't run until, like, this winter. So they literally had, like, a year and no races. And they just improved. Like, they let their bodies recover. They trained. They didn't have to, like, like cut back, you know, for, for ACCs and run run a week, and then cut back again for districts or regionals or whatever, and then run, a, run easy for another week and run nationals. They got to put, like, six months or eight months into just – becoming a better athlete and take good kidder bodies and not traveling. And, and I think that is, it. I think that's been a huge part too. So I think the new shoe technology, um, putting these huge blocks of training in, um, without, without racing and cutting back every few weeks or whatever, you know, just let the training effect take place and not having the pressure of all these races, I think maybe, you know, there was a lot less stress and so probably a lot less um, injuries too. You know, like you only have so much willpower. And if you're worrying about a race every three weeks, it's really hard to improve. You know, you can be competitive, but it's really hard to improve. You know, you want to save your willpower for those, you know, once or twice. Yeah, so we're going to willpower in two weeks. and next week, we can try that. So those would those those be the three things that I think that, like, you know, really made a, a big part, you know, and how, getting people to run a little bit faster.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate that perspective. It's in line with a lot of my own observations. I think it's easy for a lot of people just to point to the shoes and say, well, the shoes are just much better than anything that has ever been created at this point, which is true. But it's not just that. I think people tend to undervalue, everything that you just said, like the length of a long inter- uninterrupted training cycle, not having to, you know, refocus yourself every three weeks for, you know, the next big race, which at the high school and collegiate level is, as you just described, like every few weeks, you can really just focus on trying to knock it out of the park when it really counts rather than trying to continually like one up yourself every time you step on the track.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And that kind of, I think that kind of goes back to like my idea of the plus workouts, let's just do three months of good B plus workouts, you know, and we're not going to get angry. We don't have to like bear down mentally. We're going to be refreshed now. We can enjoy it. And then, and then when it's time to race, race. so I, I, I totally agree with you.
1: Yeah, and I think when athletes get that opportunity when they haven't raced in so long, especially in a year like this where people are trying to qualify for the Olympics because the windows still open, they're like, well, I can't squander this opportunity either. Like, I really have to be on my A game for this because I might not get another shot due to restrictions kind of going up and down and all of that.
0: Right, yeah, I totally agree with you on that for sure. It's it's This COVID, like, in the running world, it's been a blessing and, you know, and a curse. So, um, I, mean, I, don't, I don't want anyone think that I think is a good thing because it's a bad thing, but I think it's, it's, it's been helpful for
1: some runners for sure. For sure. In what ways do you think it's been a curse?
0: Well, just society you know, these people getting sick, people dying, it's like in the real world, you know, it's been a disaster, you know, and people not listening to science about getting vaccinated and people suffering and, you know, the U.S. is such a great country, but like it's time for the U.S. to start sharing our vaccines with the rest of the world. Like, let's come on, let's help Africa. Let's help the Caribbean. Let's help South America. Like it's time. It's time that, you know, the U.S. helping other people instead of, instead of being selfish. You know, like I think the U.S. is in a spot now. Like, if you want to get a vaccine, you get a vaccine. Now it's time to help the rest of the world. So in that way, like, gold's been a disaster. But you know, just to take it back to sport, it's just it's 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 helped my team be better. It gave us another year to prepare for these Olympic trials and hopefully the Olympics. You know, it's let us mature. Like, like I was saying earlier, no one on my team now has ever been to the Olympic trials. So the extra year was just going to be better for them. They're just going to get become mature mentally and physically. So we're we're a better team this year. So that's that's all. I, you know, I don't want I don't really want anyone to think that I tickled COVID like you know it was a terrible, terrible piece of the world.
1: No, I I appreciate that perspective. I don't think anyone listening to this would take that the wrong way. I certainly hope not. Yeah. A few more questions before we wrap up. I'm curious during the course of your Competitive career. Were you self-coached or did you work with anyone directly?
0: Um, When I first, I had a very good college coach. His name was Charles Torpy. Um, He passed away years ago of a heart attack. But he was he was a good young coach. uh, Had a lot of energy, and I just I loved his energy. And he did he did a really good job for me. And then um, then after college, I moved back to Massachusetts and. Bob Seventy helped helped me a little bit. Do you remember Sev? So Sev was Sev's a legend. On, yeah, 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 yep. So Sev Sev is always always was uh, very kind and helped me helped me when I first got out of college because I didn't run fast enough in college to really get any support. And Sev Sev saw something in me and um, he he got me on a team and you know like one year once kind of steeplechase in college, but I had never really run that fast. And one year under Sev, like I never broke 14 minutes in college for the, for the 5K. And one year under Sev, you know, I ran 1336, you know, I ran 820 something in the steeple. I broke four minutes in the mile. So like a lot of, so there was a lot of like Sev, listening to Sev's stories and doing Sev's workouts and running with all the guys in profits. Um, told me that they, it taught me that I could do it. And so after Sav, I basically, um, the 90, so I graduated from I left, um, to ninety two So after from 92 on, I was just coaching myself, but I was just like, I would just got, I did people that understood the sport and weren't afraid to share and help and be nice guys. And like, they really, they really developed me into the coach that I am today. Like, I just want to help people run fast. And I, I tell them I don't have all the answers, but this is what I did, or this is what so-and-so did, and I think this will work. And um, that's that's just the way that I operate now. And It's just because people are so kind to me along the way, and that's one of the reasons why I love, love running so much. I've just been around so many cool, nice people that cared. And they were from all over the world, whether it's you know, Mark Platchett, who didn't want his family growing up in South Africa, sort of a side. America's better. I'm getting my family out of here. I'm going to America. I'm bringing them over. or Arturo Barrios, you know he won the better life. He wanted to get out of Mexico, and he ended up in Boulder, or Jonesy, who just beat with such a great runner, you know, when he got out of the Royal Air Force and started setting world records, he just he moved to Boulder, and he's just great guys. And you know, be when he came through boulder, you know, he would run with everybody. He go to the Boulder Reservoir the Boulder Res, and there'd be like 30 people there and we go out on a 10 mile run. So you go run like, you know, go run an hour or something. And you're around people that, you know, have medals from the Olympics who are champs and they're just telling you about their day or their family or where they grew up. And I just thoroughly enjoyed it. And like, I was, like, that's why I like Flagstaff. It doesn't seem to be too much, um, like politics here. Like a lot of people just like look out for each other or care, care about each other or, you know, not afraid to share with each other. And I think that's pretty cool. I don't, I don't know if you get mad at in other parts of the country, you know, does that make sense?
1: It does make sense. And it does seem like there is something pretty unique and special happening in Flagstaff right now. Obviously people are still training in Boulder and Mammoth lakes and other locations, but flag seems to have become the spot, certainly in recent years for a lot of top athletes, whether they're middle distance runners, marathoners, even ultra runners to go and hone their craft.
0: Yeah. I mean, just like, like two weeks ago, like three weeks ago, you know, like we went and did a long run. It might have been a few too many people, but there had to be like 40 people there, you know, from, from Mo Farah was there to Guru. you know, the Japanese marathoner to, you know, my team to, you know, like a 210, 800 meter kid that just wants to go for a run. You know, it was pretty, it was pretty crazy. Like a little bit, maybe too many people, you know, during COVID, you know, but everyone was vaccinated. It was like a little, it was a little seemed like a little bit too much for me, but I thought it was great, you know? So, uh,
1: uh. Aside from Coach Torpy and Sev and all the folks that you just mentioned who influenced your perspective on Running. Were you someone who always like studied training and kind of nerded out on that sort of stuff, knowing that you could apply it to your own situation, but that one day you could use it to coach other people?
0: Yeah, I think uh, I read. I read everything, you know. Like even like I mean Dave Martin. Like I forgot about Dave. Like Dave helped me a lot. Would let us go down to uh, land and do VO two max, check our blood, you know. We could see where my shoulder like the threshold was, and so like, so like we I had that. He was a great guy. He passed away just recently too. So it was there, you know. Um, I was I my brother, my brother went to Dartmouth, and I was good friends with um the Dartmouth guy. I still am, you know, up and in and stuff. So I had you know plenty Vin was up there, so he he was always a resource for me. So like Vin. Like one time I was running a marathon and I was just asking him, you know, I called him up and was asking him about, you know, um, depleting, carbo depleting, you know, what did Bob do? And, you know, and I could call Bob up and ask Bob what he did. And so, like, you know, we were friends there. And then, uh, you know, I had, you know, John Tracy, he'd he'd be like, hey, uh," you know, there's a couple of good cross country races going on in Ireland right after Christmas how would you like to come over to Ireland and run a couple of the races, you know, like, so I just like people took me under their wings. I don't know why, but for whatever reason they did. And like, if I can give a little bit of that back, uh, I, I think I'm doing a good job.
1: Last question. You sure. have been coaching at the professional level for six or seven years. Now you coached collegiately prior to that at Dartmouth, MIT and Tufts, I believe, how have you grown the most as a coach in all the time that you've been doing this?
0: I th- I think that, um, I have a lot more patience now. And so like an example would be like Dartmouth. Say we ran a race on Saturday, just like a cross country race on Saturday. Right. I would say, all right, long run Sunday, easy day, Monday, hard intervals on Tuesday. That would be like my approach. Right. And I would probably stick to it. And like after a couple of couple years at Dartmouth, we had a really good team and like, I could see how hard, like Ab, I learned how hard like Abby could run or Alexi Pappas could run. Like they could run really hard in races. You know, sometimes they could run um, better than their fitness levels. So they were, they were still a wreck on Tuesday and I would have them work out. And when I finally figured it out, I was like stupid to have them work out on Tuesday. Let's skip that workout and we'll just work out Friday. As soon as I did that, like sweet they just got they became such better athletes and better runners and like let them recover like you know when these kids are these kids so hard to sleep deprived so like like they're not recovering as quickly as you know someone that's not going to school so like i just like i learned things like that like patience and i'm a lot more patient now like the, the people on my team, when they race on a, on a Saturday and they race hard, like we might not go long on Sunday. Like let's, let's just move a couple days forward. Let's go along on Tuesday this week, and let's get back on it on Friday. And I think that's really been one of the big things that I that I learned. Like you don't have to be so red. I'm not afraid to. When we go to the track, you know if we're gonna do six times a mile, and after two of them, I can tell it's not gonna go well. I have no problem saying, all right, let's just turn it into 800s, you know, and, you know, take a little bit more rest, something like that, you know. Uh, that's just, like, an example I just made up. But I'm not afraid to, like, change the workout on the fly if I see it's not going the way that we wanted it to go as a team. So, just I think patience is a big thing that I've learned. or I don't know, Is that the right word? Or compromise or, like, you know, mm-hmm. change it up on the fly, you know, so...
1: All right. One last one to piggyback off of that. If you had to give a piece of advice to young coaches who are just getting into this, whether it's at the high school level, collegiate level, or working with age group athletes, what would it be?
0: Um, That they're people, that they're sensitive, and that there's things way more important than running, and it's their well-being. And if the kids that you're coaching or the grown-ups that you're coaching know that you care about them, they're going to be way more successful. And they're going to listen to you more, and they're going to um, be better runners or athletes, whatever whatever you're coaching them in. I'm so convinced of that. I think
1: that's a great place to wrap up this conversation, Mark. I've really enjoyed it. I wish you and your squad the best at the upcoming Olympic trials, and I thank you for coming on the Morning Shakeout podcast.
0: Oh, my pleasure. I hope uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it myself.
1: right thank you so much for listening in to the morning shakeout podcast a big thank you to both new balance and gooder for sponsoring this episode of the show the fuel cell rebel v2 is my new favorite running shoe it's super light it's incredibly responsive and offers good protection underfoot i think it's the perfect workout shoe and i will be using it all the time check it out today at newbalance.com and consider adding a pair to your rotation Gooder sunglasses are just the best. Not only do they look good, they don't bounce, they don't slip, and they're polarized to protect your eyes. Best of all, they come in a number of awesome styles and colors. I'm personally a big fan of the OGs, and my favorite colors are Ginger's Soul and Mick and Keith's Midnight Ramble. If you'd like to support me in the podcast, treat yourself to a pair or two or maybe three of Gooder's and head over to Gooder.com slash Mario and get 15% off your entire order. That's G-O-O-D-R dot com slash mario that's m-a-r-i-o to get 15 percent off your order your face will thank you if you enjoyed this episode please tell a friend about it or throw up a post on instagram twitter or facebook and encourage your friends and followers to subscribe to the show you can also leave a rating and a review on apple podcasts or whatever platform you're listening to this on which only takes a minute and it really means a lot to me couple more things before we wrap up. I'd like to give a shout out as always to my longtime producer, John Summerford, who makes every episode of the podcast sound clear and amazing. Also, thank you to Jeffrey Stern for running the AM Shakeout social media accounts and Chris Douglas for handling sponsorship sales. Last thing, if you are digging this podcast, I think you'll love my newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout and you can subscribe to it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Every Tuesday morning, you'll get my take on what's happening in the world of running along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about, reading, and listening to. It's a quick read, five, ten minutes tops, but it will give you plenty to think about throughout the rest of the week. Again, you can sign up to receive it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Okay, that's it. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of The Morning Shakeout Podcast. (coughs)